Welcome to Keep Calm and Cook On. I'm your host, Julia Tertian. Each episode of Keep Calm and Cook On features a meaningful interview and answers to listeners' questions about cooking. Thanks for tuning in. This episode of Keep Calm and Cook On is presented by OXO. OXO makes some of the most thoughtfully engineered tools around. To find out more about OXO, head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. Welcome to season three of Keep Calm and Cook On. I am so thrilled that the first episode of this third season features Anthony Porosky from Netflix's Queer Eye. He's also the author of a brand new cookbook, Anthony in the Kitchen. We spoke a few weeks ago via Skype, both from the comfort of our own homes. I was so touched by Anthony's vulnerability in our conversation. We covered everything from imposter syndrome to throwing dinner parties to how to handle being an empathetic person. One lucky listener is eligible to win a copy of his new cookbook. For a chance to win, leave a review of Keep Calm and Cook On on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast. Screenshot your review and send it to me via email at keepcalmandcookonpodcast at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at Tertian. I'll make a list of submissions and randomly select one to win a copy of Anthony's wonderful new cookbook. Okay, without further ado, I hope you enjoy our conversation. The book is super personal, and I was really struck in the introduction by what you shared about imposter syndrome right mm-hmm. there, you know, on page whatever, two or something. Like, it's right there from the beginning, you know, your feelings of, am I gay enough for the show? Am I, like, enough of a food person? Like, these questions that you, it sounds like, had some struggle with as you were going through this experience of being on the show, but then I would imagine sort of bringing to the book, too. Imposter syndrome is an interesting thing. I think you say it, and everyone in a room is like, yeah, I feel that. Like, it's this universal thing, but it makes you feel so isolated. It's such a weird thing. Yes. So, I'm yeah, wondering, a- yeah, do you still feel it, or...? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to say that, no, the success of Queer Eye is really like, it's gone out the door, but it comes back and it, it, it comes on days when um, I'm a very sensitive person mm-hmm. and I have days where I wake up and I'm especially sensitive where I can, I, I take on other people's feelings or moods or even like music, like certain things can trigger me. Mm-hmm. And on days like that, I can feel especially like an imposter because I feel especially vulnerable um, and I mistake that for weakness. I mm. still have to remind myself like vulnerability is not weakness. It's something that I talk about on the show, but I have yeah. to constantly remind myself. Um, but with imposter syndrome, sure. It's like even planning, we're starting to go over like people who I'm going to be meeting during the cookbook tour who mm. are going to be doing like panel discussions with. And these are like respected mm-hmm. chefs who I admire and I've read their work cooked from their mm-hmm. books. And I'm like, holy shit. Like they're interviewing me. Like, mm-hmm. can we, make it the other way around. Like, I feel like a total asshole. Yeah. And that's, and that's something that, you know, but at the same time, like, that's when I remind myself, like, I am not a chef. Not once have I ever referred to myself as mm-hmm. one. I know a lot of people who are home cooks who refer to themselves as chefs and I don't judge it. I don't. But yeah. for me, like I have a reverence and a respect for people who went to culinary school um, and have made a career out of that because I'm like, that's what I am. I'm a food personality and I'm a home cook before Mm -hmm. anything else Mm -hmm. I didn't have any professional training and I kind of like that because it gives me a freedom to just fuck around a little more and like not put that much pressure on myself sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't yeah but um and I think that that's and and I I always want to differentiate with that and it's you know I get really intimidated by people who I really respect 
um, not just in my field, but any field of work, um, especially people who go through like traditional training to achieve something. I have a lot of respect for people who pursue an education. Mm-hmm. Everyone's a, a lot of physicians in my family. So we're well, Got we're it. familiar with like the eight years in, yeah. in med school yeah. or however long it takes to become a doctor. So it's like, I get that and I understand it and I really, and I really respect it. So I never wanted to be that person. Um, and, but to Ted Allen's point, um, who I worked for as mm-hmm. a personal assistant for a couple of years when I was telling him like, Ted, like I'm not a chef. And I think they're really looking for a chef for this iteration of the show. Um, he was like, I wasn't a chef when I got it. I wrote about food, but he was like, you may have his words, not mine. He was like, you probably have more of a knowledge of food now than I did when I started the show, if that tells you anything. So like, you'll figure it out. You're inherently curious. You read a shit ton, so you're going to learn. If mm-hmm. you don't know something, you have YouTube at your disposal these days, so you'll learn how to make the recipe. Like, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just don't be too elitist and make sure to try to let it be inclusive for everybody and, and, and just kind of focus on that. And he's like, and, and honestly, he's like, you're an actor. You love interacting with people, and you're passionate about food. You're a messenger for them. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be somebody who is preachy. You can about how it is to properly peel a garlic clove or, like, the gentle, like mixing by a flat wooden spoon is better for risotto than like a circular one. And it's not about shaking it vigorously to break down the rice mm-hmm. grain, but to do it like nice and slow. Cause you have your tips and your things yeah. that you've learned along the way, but you don't have to be this preachy type. He's like, that's not your personality anyway. You're not that guy. Yeah. It sounds like it all comes back. Everything you're talking about, it comes back to being yourself. And sometimes yes. that can be a scary thing. <laughs> it can. Yeah. I do weirdly, I don't know if I have an exhibitionist side, but I do, I am I am quite comfortable with being vulnerable. Actually, there I'm also a walking contradiction. When I booked the when I when I found out about the show and I was auditioning for it, the two things that made me the most uncomfortable were the queer part and the cooking part because food was always sacred and intimate. Mm-hmm. It's it wasn't anything that I pursued in a professional capacity. It was hinted by friends of mine and mentors that I should, but it was all like I had other hopes and dreams for myself. And the whole the whole gay or fluid thing was also something that I was out to friends, but I never had a traditional coming out story. Like I worked at a restaurant for five years and people just assumed that I was straight and I never mm-hmm. corrected them. But I was like, I'll tell one by one when the time comes up or when my boyfriend comes to see me. But it was just not. So it was something that I kind of that made me really uncomfortable. But then I kind of learned to lean into it. Mm-hmm. I weirdly told myself I wasn't going to talk about being gay on the show. And then the opportunity arose where a boy wanted to tell a stepmom that he was gay. And we were talking to him about that. And I was like, well, it's not fair if I don't sort of share my experience Mm -hmm. if I'm at making these expectations and having these demands of him and same with food is connecting I've learned that there are two different types of people at least the people who we help on Queer Eye one type is the people who were passionate about cooking and then something happened in life Mm -hmm. and they just sort of gave up and Mm -hmm. they stopped doing it and they know how important it was and like what a place it had in their lives and there are other people who they don't like they'll eat a granola bar for every meal. If it's calories and sustenance, they're good to go. Mm-hmm. I do not understand the yeah. latter yeah. group. I just don't get it. Um, but with them, what's more interesting to me is trying to figure out how are you going to, they need a reason for it. So we had this guy in season one named Corey, who was a cop and he was eating, he thought he was vegan, but he was eating whey protein mm-hmm. bars, not vegan um, and very religious, massive cross in his dining room. Sunday family dinner is very important yeah. in, in, in Christianity and in, in the U.S. and abroad. He was eating in his basement while his wife and his daughters were eating in the kitchen because he was terrified of his kitchen. 
So for him, it was like, okay, well, you have all these values. I'm not here to debate those, but like live by them. Mm -hmm. Like you should show up for your wife and your kids and you should make them a meal. It doesn't have to be super complex. So if people have a reason for cooking, that can sort of serve as like a good, yeah, kind of like a good segue into getting them excited about just getting their butts into a kitchen and making something. Absolutely. Um, for you, just from reading your book and watching you on the show, I mean, such a big thing that I feel like you spend your time doing is just is listening to people. And you clearly have a ton of empathy and you talk about how it affects you. And I think it's sort of figuring out what people's needs are. So kind of with that in mind, how do you feel about that for yourself? Like, why, why do you cook? What's your purpose for it? I'm very passionate about food. And what my therapist always says it's, is that if it's hysterical, it's historical. Um, <laughs> and it, um, if it's hysterical, if it's like, if, if something is very heightened or kind of uh-huh. like crazy, there's probably like something in your childhood. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> um, not to go all Freudian, but um, I think, you know, I, I had a dysfunctional family growing up and there was love in certain ways. My parents certainly did the best that they could, but we didn't get along. And the one time that we did get along was around a table. Mm when we were eating food, my parents would travel and they wouldn't come back with gifts. They would always come back with food, whether it was like canned sardines from like Portugal to, you know, in, in Turkey, they came back with a beautiful, uh, halwa or like wherever they would travel, they would come back with like something from wherever they were. Um, and so, and we're all weirdly passionate about food in my family, but I think that there is something about, actually, I'm going to tell you a brief little segue into like a story that ties into this. I had um, girlfriends of mine from high school who were visiting New York and we were all sitting in a hotel room and they were like, so crazy how this all happened to you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I know it's so nuts. Like it's, it makes no sense because like I, who would have ever thought that I'd be working in food or that I would like that this would be my job. And they were like, um, when you were 13 or 14 and your parents would travel and you were home alone, you would have house parties. And before we would get shit faced and break into your parents' liquor cabinet, you would have dinner parties and you would make everyone sit down and you would go do like a whole brick chicken situation or some recipe that you wouldn't shut up about or like mm-hmm. learning how to make risotto failing miserably the first 20 times that I did. And like, you always wanted to recreate that experience. And I think part of me is there is such an emotional component to food and it's, it's not only nostalgic, but it like ties us into who we are, where we come from. And that's kind of like what this book is like with every, my favorite part of it wasn't just testing out the recipes for this book, but it was, like the story behind every single dish because every single one has a personal story and everyone has that in their lives. Yes. Mm -hmm. I want people to buy the book. I want people to do the recipes. Awesome. But like, I want people to think about what's, what's your version of that. Yeah. Like we all have that, the grandma's pie that she used to make, or I don't, I don't care how humble or simplistic it is, but like I had a snack. I drive with my dad from West Virginia for 12 hours in our red Mercury village or minivan that'd be felt very relevant. Um, and he used, to, his, he used to get so excited about it, he'd make the best sandwiches and he would take carrot sticks with smoked almonds or tamari almonds that we would get at the Middle Eastern market in Montreal and put a bit of good salt. He taught me about seasoning mm-hmm. salt and lemon juice and put it in a Ziploc and he'd be like, this is the best snack. It just wakes me up more than coffee and it's crunchy and I love almonds with carrots and a bit of acid from the lemon juice. And then I found myself making this like carrot ribbon salad for mm-hmm. ages, just adding medjool dates to it. And then I realized like, holy shit, like that was from the snack that I had yeah. with my dad. Yeah. Like that's a memory that I had with him. And that's sacred to me. Like it's so much more than just a carrot salad. Mm-hmm. No, it's like, it's in your fabric and it, it's a positive memory yeah. with your dad. It sounds like. Totally. Yeah. yeah. 
Totally. Yeah. I mean, you wrote down, where did I put it? You wrote down in, in your book about at 14, giving the dinner parties that you just described. And you said that it was for you about creating the sense of family, like you would do it with your friends. And to yeah. me, there's something about that, that, um, I don't know if you get asked this a lot. I get asked sometimes, I think it's sometimes an odd question about like, what is queer food? <laughs> um, and I don't know that I know the answer to that. I don't know if you do, but to me, the, when I think of that, I think of just chosen family and that, yes. you know, all families, the kitchen and meals are at the center of it. So it's like, we have this opportunity to create what we feel is family. And it sounds like that was, you know, a tough thing for you, maybe with the family you're born into at times, but I'm wondering just what does that word mean to you? Family? Like, how do you define it? What does it feel like? I think I was really hard on myself that I didn't have the family that I thought I needed to have. Mm-hmm. And I learned, um, I learned, and, and I mentioned them a lot in the book, um, my relationship with my ex, mm-hmm. with Joey. We were together for seven years, and every single member in his family from the beginning showed me very clearly what unconditional love mm-hmm. was. And I talked about that in therapy for years prior to even meeting him, but I didn't fully understand what it was until I experienced it. To be with a family who wasn't where I didn't feel like I was going to be abandoned or left or ignored was not a given for me. And it isn't a given for a lot of LGBTQIA kids. There was different reasons for me. There was never any, I, I, I didn't deal with like homophobia in my house or anything like that. I was lucky, but there were other things that were like very serious issues. And to be taken in by somebody who like they chose, yes, they kind of had to love me because I was dating their beloved son but they didn't have to welcome me with, mm-hmm. with open arms the way that they did. And they did. And, and I really felt like they loved me for me. And part of me felt cocky at first, but then I realized like, oh, wow, like I'm actually worthy of that love. And that's something that you mm-hmm. get to have is that's kind of one of the, the pros. I had this con- conversation with a friend of mine recently, and we we're saying as, um, as like fluid or gay, LGBTQI+, um, we often don't have the mentors in, um, in, in media, on television, as many in literature as, as straight people do. And so we kind of have to like figure out our own path. But the good side of that is that we're kind of pushed towards figuring out what chosen, what logical versus biological family is. Mm-hmm. And we get to shape that for mm-hmm. ourselves. Like I see that that's such a, it's such a great way of looking at it because then you can be empowered to be like, who do I look up to? Who's doing something that I really respect or admire? And we get to make those choices. Yeah. And it's why it's so important that there's, such a variety of us out there because, you know, you talking about feeling like, are you, are you gay enough to be on the show? And then being very open in that one episode about uh, sort of your, your fluidity and knowing that there's not one way to be on the show. There's not one way to be gay. (laughs) You know, there's so many different versions of this. And I, I mean, I feel I can only speak from my personal experience because we haven't seen that many versions we kind of feel like maybe there aren't that many, but there's so many, just as you said, there's so many examples for straight people. And I think it's, I think you and I both and many people have these incredible opportunities to, to put ourselves out there to kind of show all the nuance. Like there's a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And you can show the nuances and show how like our, our stories are different and show sort of like the variance and the diversity within our, um, w- w- within our population, I've switched recently. I stopped calling LGBTQIA a community. Um, I, I, I like to see it more as a population that we're not like separate, but that we're a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
but at the same time, like we still have these similarities. Like we all still want the same things. We want to know what it's like to feel safe and loved and to feel like we belong to someone and like somebody belongs to us. Like yeah. we, we, everybody fucking wants the same thing. Yeah. Everyone, everyone wants to be seen and heard right? and loved. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's, I mean, it's that simple, but that hard. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think you and I, I think we have kind of a lot in common and I think one is I think maybe the way we feel it or the way we express it is through food mm-hmm. yeah for sure and there is there is sorry to cut you off but mm-hmm. a, another thing because I love having these conversations mm-hmm. with friends about um, food and what it's like friends who are chefs and even like non-chefs and people who just cook for others there is this weird sort of catch-22 of because I recreate this experience of a dinner party and like a sense of family like I get emotional at my dinner party because mm-hmm. I love to have the candles and the music mm-hmm. and I, I create this whole thing, but I'm still detached from it because I'm in the kitchen and I'm preparing mm-hmm. the dish and I want them to have that experience. Mm-hmm. But I'm really trying, like my new goal for this year especially is to try to be part of the dinner party a little more. And a good way of doing that, I learned from salt, fat, acid, heat from mm-hmm. Samin. Mm-hmm. She encourages her guests to actually partake in yeah in preparing the rest, which is very mm-hmm. hard for me because yeah. I like my onions cut a very specific yeah. way. But what's nice about with people who are open to at least helping in the kitchen, even if it's literally just putting some bunch of salt into the pasta water, they get to get a little lesson about why it's important to do something like that. But they feel like they're part of it and it's a little less work for me and I'm not as stressed and it, it gets to be more collaborative. Mm-hmm. So I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. I, um, I've talked to Samin about this and I so admire how she does that, but I also feel a little bit like you. I'm very, I feel at times very open to whoever's in my kitchen, the more the merrier. And sometimes I feel like mm-hmm. get out of my kitchen. <laughs> and so, I'm that guy. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. that's who I am, but I'm trying to be the yeah. first part of that. But I think I've used the kitchen at times. I've liked that separation. I think sometimes it's, it's nice to have people in, in my home, but sometimes I want to be a step back. Maybe it's like a social anxiety thing or like a family stress thing or uh-huh. a combination. But I, I'm a big fan of making everything before and kind of serving everything at room temperature. So no one's cooking and we're just being together. So there's mm. lots of, lots of options, but I think getting people I involved get is amazing. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many ways, many ways yeah. to do it. I'm yeah. getting better at it. I used to like not even sit at the table and I was just refilling being the busboy that I was yeah. for almost a decade and refilling everybody's water glass. And now I've sort of learned to like, let go a little bit yeah. and be like, okay, I'm going to prepare this ahead of time with certain like salads and pasta salads, especially it's sort of like, you know what, they're going to be room temperature. Yeah, And that's fine. I think when you're in that position of being kind of the bus boy or, you know, if I'm just like staying in the kitchen a little bit, I think it allows you to kind of put off being vulnerable. Like if you're not sitting at the table, you're not actually, you're creating this place for people Correct. to share, but you're yeah. not actually having to do it. And you're creating the experience, yeah. but not really engaging in it yeah. and not being part of it. And then it's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. When do you feel, um, to me, the word that's like popping in my head as we're talking about this is mm-hmm. just, it's not just vulnerability, but it's just feeling safe, um, like making that kind of safe space. And I don't know if this is like a weird question, but where do, where do you feel most safe? Um, Did you know you signed up for therapy at two o'clock today? <laughs> no, no. I love this question. And it's, it's very on the nose of exactly what I'm going through right now. I've always been in relationships. And I've always sort of, at the beginning of relationships, lost myself in whoever it was that I was dating because I would take on all of their habits and their traits, wardrobe, music, like everything, because I wanted to be as much like them as possible so that they would never leave me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And and you're an actor, right? 
Like you and know I'm how to do that. Too, yeah. So it's yeah. that was my excuse for yeah. a while. Where it was like, I'm just a chameleon. This is this is for a study. Mm-hmm. Um, terrible thing to say about a significant other, but um, I for the first time in since I can even remember, I'm single, and it has been. I get moments where I'm sort of like, oh wow, I'm learning about what I actually like and what I actually want and need because I always used to think about what the other person needed at the detriment Mm -hmm. of my own needs Mm -hmm. until I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And then I would just leave the relationship. So I feel I've long felt most safe with a significant other. And now I don't have that anymore. And it's been kind of a really terrifying time, but at the same time, very freeing because I, again, just get to be a little filthy in a good way where it's like, I'm just doing things for me and eating when I want what I want. Like what and it's you, kind of terrifying, but it's kind of freeing. Like I'm finding myself at the ripe old age of 35. What are you making for yourself these days? Like, are you eating like weird things? I love what people make for themselves when they're mm-hmm. alone. I think it's fascinating. So, I, I mean, I don't, the sad part is that I don't get to cook mm-hmm. as much for myself as I used to, which is, that's the irony of it, is that I'm never home. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm filming, it's like I get home and usually I get like, something like a PA will help and get me like a grain bowl and I'll just get some like a bunch of berries and have some yogurt or something like that. It's really sad. I, it's the irony of like, like making iron, content yeah. about food and lifestyle exactly. and all this stuff and then you're right. like eating the granola. Um, yeah. So because um, my snack that I just had before I came in mm-hmm. here, I had these awesome, Mindy Fox actually recommended a friend of hers who owns a farm called Meladuco Ranch. And they are, in my opinion, the best dates mm. you can get in the U.S. You love dates. I love <laughs> dates. I really like do. Well, I had a lot of Middle Eastern friends growing mm. up, and they would always bring yeah. them at snacks. Yeah, and yeah. like, we have tons of Lebanese and, and Palestinian people in Montreal, mm-hmm. and that was just like the norm. That yeah. was their snack. Yeah. And so I put a bit of almond butter, and I put uh-huh. a bit of Malden, and I put a Marcona almond in there, and it was like the perfect snack. So and I had good. two of those. I got my fiber and my protein for the next hour, you, so I'm good to go. Almond butter and the Marcona almond. Yeah, double extra crunch. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I love it. That's so great. I love a little overkill. Yeah. I'll put sharp cheddar instead of almond butter sometimes. But um, the, a good way for me to to actually be cooking, I've been um, I've only had three or four of them. Um, when I'm because I'm single now and I'm like trying to connect with friends that I haven't seen in a really long time because I get very involved in a relationship and I have a tendency mm-hmm. to neglect friendships and other relationships. I've been hosting dinner parties, sometimes with people that I've met as a result of this crazy life. Mm -hmm. And I'll just put up a weird list of like people together and I'll be like, it's going to be a fun night or it's going to be really weird. But I also love awkwardness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And it's all a good story to the kitchen. It's all a good. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Or just have like my best friends over and I get to cook dinner for them at home and just kind of get to, you know, create that little like a nice little intimate catch up Mm -hmm. that. I love restaurants, but I love like being at home. There's nothing that beats that. Yeah. And it sounds like so, for you, it's something you have to yeah. do intentionally. Like you have to invite the people and make the meal. Like you have to make the time. No, to it's do a it. whole ritual. Yeah. And I have to have a day off because I have to go yeah. to the floral market. I mm-hmm. live a few streets north of it. So I pick out mm-hmm. my flowers. Then I go to the market. And then that, you know, Fairway doesn't have everything I need. So then I got to go to like Whole Foods or wherever it is. And then just like figure out a menu. And it's like, I love, I love daydreaming about that. Mm-hmm. And I love thinking about it. It's like, what am I going to make? What's the veggie side? Oh, I know I made peaches for the past three dinners, but who the fuck cares? I love peaches mm-hmm. in it's summer. I'm going to serve them again. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I love, I, I love thinking about making dinners for, for friends, especially when I get to make something 
that's like a beloved favorite. I reference Rima a lot in the cookbook. She's my best friend. And um, on Mother's Day, she came over here um, with her mom and like we made Indian food and it was Rima's mom, Rima and her daughter. And I'm her daughter's godfather. And I just got to hang out with these like three women, two women and a baby. And, um, and we just had like awesome Indian food and, yeah. and it was just, it was just perfect. Yeah. I mean, that's family, right? That's yeah. family. That's yeah. my, yeah. 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 What do you hope your friends feel when they leave your house after they've had dinner? Full and drunk. <laughs> I think that's sort of, Reem always says, she's like, you keep the lights so low and you're constantly refilling glasses. I don't think you realize how much you do that, but like, I never have to think when I'm at your house and I'm always so relaxed and I always overeat. But I think I I just want everyone to, everything starts in the kitchen. I start with my cheese or charcuterie or whatever I'm I'm doing in the kitchen because people like to see what's going on and I get to talk about it a little bit. And then we move on to the dining table and then we just sit at the table all night long. And then weirdly, the past couple of dinner parties, everyone ended up in the bedroom because I have this art piece of these two lions. It's a photograph of these lions that are attacking each other. It's very bizarre and very polarizing. And everyone ends up in the bedroom with like a glass of wine or champagne or whatever. And we just like all sit on the bed and we just talk. I just want really long conversations. And I, I just love it when, I don't know, I feel like there's just something nice about that intimate human connection. Yeah. I'm not in a restaurant. There's nobody like, coming up nobody you have to, I don't like it's just like it's 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 so private and intimate mm-hmm. yeah I don't know maybe you should date a woman <laughs> all we do is have I long conversations men, by the way <laughs> sometimes I joke with Grace my wife about I mean all we do is talk about our feelings all day long <laughs> I love it sign me up get me a bedroom in that house that's so funny <laughs> uh, do you guys when you're filming um, I mean, as I mean, I've seen every episode some more than once, like as an avid viewer mm-hmm. of the show, one thing that really comes through is not just the people you guys are with for that week, but I mean, it's your friendship. You guys seem to have such a beautiful sort of collective friendship. And do you do you have any opportunity? It sounds like when you're filming, it's so busy and kind of chaotic. Do you have any opportunity to have I mean, first, I guess my question is, is that true? <laughs> like my thought of watching you out. Like, yeah. It seems like you're all actually friends. We, then, we, we are yeah. I mean, like we're going through this really weird phenomenon together. Yeah. We're in constant communication all week. Like, let's say if one of us has, cause we don't get to watch the other. My favorite part is actually, I hate watching myself and I'll fast forward through it. Oh, but seeing everyone But I else. love, I love yeah. watching my, my, my castmates yeah. or my, my brothers do it because I don't like, I kind of know what they did, but I never like with the Jones sisters, I didn't understand what the experience was like of her getting like I had yeah. to pause it yeah because yeah. I was just full like bobbing um I've got the barbecue sauce we're... in my fridge by oh, the way you did <laughs> I ordered it immediately <laughs> I got like the six pack <laughs> so they're sweet. amazing they're, oh, but sorry I cut you off so watching but, um, watching them have that time but yeah, yeah just wa- watching them like sort of I have I have such a tremendous amount of respect for what it is that they do and like everyone's weirder in this new season mm-hmm. as well, which I think is really nice because we've like let ourselves go in a good yeah. way. We're not as like buttoned up about everything and trying to be yeah. good where it's, we're just having a lot more fun with it. And like we've, we're, we've experienced this really bizarre ass phenomenon yeah. together. Like we're in it. That's yeah. a fam- That's another family of yeah. mine. And you'll have this. We can vent yeah. safely. Yeah. Like, and like in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, like you guys will be the only ones who have experienced that experience together and like yeah, it's so yeah. great you have each other 
I was just totally. going to ask, do you have any opportunity to the kind of dinners you're talking about doing at home in New York for your friends and stuff? Do, do you have any chance while you're filming to do that kind of thing together? Or at the end of the day, are you guys just like, I'm going to bed. I've seen enough of you. <laughs> Season one and two. Um, at that point, Bobby and Karama were very into fast food. So they were having a lot of that while we were in Atlanta. But um, Tan really missed the ritual of having mm-hmm. a dinner because he um, he's married. He has a mm-hmm. husband in Salt Lake and they would make dinner every single night and Tan would cook. He would be like too tired to cook. But like, so I would make like the, the skillet, smoky skillet chicken fajitas mm-hmm. that I have in there, which is like such a simple dish. But everyone should know how to make like basic fajitas. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah. like a good standard thing in a cast iron skillet. Um, and so Jonathan and Tan would come over and that was kind of like a nice ritual that we had in Kansas City. Tan definitely ate a lot more of the food because I was testing out the recipes mm, at night. So I would have um, my dear friend, Beth Barden, while Mindy was working on the East Coast with Jen Ophir, who was also testing mm-hmm. recipes. I had Beth Barden, who owns Succotash, awesome brunch spot in KC. She was also the caterer for seasons three and four. She would be in my apartment and she would have like my needs ready for three dishes. And she would prepare three dishes that I would dictate mm-hmm. during the day and she would figure out measurements. Mm-hmm. And then I would go correct. So I'd have like literally five to six dishes every night and Tan would come over at midnight and I'd be like, yeah, carry chicken livers like yeah. we had at Nando's in London. Like, come on, bud. Yeah. And then we would go and so he, he's a really good tester. Tan and I were very food connected. Yeah, that's really sweet. We're very, for both of you. Yeah. It's about family and ritual. And totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And so cool that at the end of the day, it's not just like you have like, you know, five recipes on your counter. It's like five of probably the things you love more than anything because they're in your book. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really yeah. personal. And well, like, there was one night where it was the roast chicken and the pork chop. And the shrimp and the liver. So it was like, this is, Not I'm going to have night meat sweats. Like there's no tomorrow, but I'm in for it. Yeah. So you guys have done, you've done four seasons, right? Four? We did four seasons. Okay. And the other one is like, I don't know if it's a full season or not, but we did one in Japan. Oh my gosh. Um, so, in Tokyo. And this so is all. Wait like, for it. It's a sob fest. I really can't. I mean. I can't wait, but I will because I don't uh, think I have a choice. But having having produced this much of the show this quickly and now you've done your cookbook and and, you know, I know it's all sort of, as we said earlier, sort of like part of this ecosystem. But these past few years mm-hmm. of your life doing all this, what, what have you learned about yourself? Gosh, that's such a loaded <laughs> questions are hard for me because it's like, where do I focus? Yeah. Um, or what's has something been surprising you've learned about yourself? I didn't realize how sensitive I was. Mm. I kind of knew, I mean, I knew how, I've always known how affected I am by, my therapist calls me an HSP, which is a highly mm-hmm. sensitive person, and I read the book, and I'm like 100% me, but the way that, like, I, I have trouble detaching from the heroes at the end of the week yeah. when we say goodbye, because I've really, like, I've, I, I, I really try to listen to them, and, and I, like, you form close bonds with these people. Yes, they're strangers. But also because some of them fall very differently on the political spectrum, mm-hmm. we'll put it that way. For me, it's only it means that I have to hyper focus on how it is that I can help them. And so that means I get extra personal, like real quick. Yeah. And over food is where I have the most intimate conversations. And I have really close friends of mine where we don't have such close yeah. conversations where we don't cook together. Yeah. And there is like this intimacy of like preparing a dish of like being there together. There's a technical component, but it's like, you're stuck. No one's going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So you might as well have the talk. And so I get really attached. And I've, I've realized how, I think I was ashamed of my sensitivity when I was a kid because I would 
cry at movies and uh, I would just be really emotional all the time. And a lot of boys weren't that way in school and I would be kind of embarrassed about it. But as a result of the show, some of the best feedback I got was when I really leaned into my sensitivity the most. And I've realized that it's like, oh, it's not like, it's not a liability. It's an asset. Yeah. 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 That's a big lesson. Like that's actually a strength. It's like a superhero. Yeah. And I love this. And I love my sensitivity now. And it's like, it's just, it's, it's who I am. I love that. You love your sensitivity. That's, that's very amazing. It's overwhelming sometimes, but I, but I still like it. So how do you, um, yeah, I imagine that's overwhelming. And you're also like, you've become quite quickly, you along with the four other guys, like, I mean, you've become very public very quickly and experiencing that as a highly sensitive person, as a person who feels things, it seems quite deeply and, you know, feels connected to people. Like, how do you, how do you protect yourself in all this? And how do you come down from it? Like at the end of the week, when you say goodbye to the heroes, like, do you have any rituals or, or, or parameters in place? Like, how do you get the ritual it? is a bath with a candle mm-hmm. right now. I'm very into Maggie Rogers, mm-hmm. but I often go back to the national and any music that just makes me feel a lot of Richard Ashcroft and some early Oasis, but, um, it's, uh, the whole giving of myself and figuring out that's one thing that I really struggle with is like, there were certain topics that I would, would never want to talk. Like I have, um, I have, I mean, it's basically like, I don't have a relationship with my biological mother. Mm -hmm. And I was telling myself like, that's something that is mine. I am never going to talk about that. But then I met Wanda in season four and she is doing this thing that my mother did to me growing up where she didn't say, I love you. Mm -hmm. And I never thought about how much that hurt because her excuse was always her excuse. Her reasoning, I should say, was always, um, because I do it with my actions Mm -hmm. and I used to be like, Oh, okay, well, I guess that makes sense. But then after speaking to Wanda's daughters and seeing what their experience is like with their mother and her saying the same thing, I was like, wait, like record scratch. Mm -hmm. Like I went through that same thing and I'm not saying this is where you're going to end up, but like, I don't have a relationship with her right now. Like that affected me. And yes, like the act of service is a love language, but like sometimes people need words of affirmation as Mm -hmm. well. Like sometimes it's as simple as having to be told. Yeah. And I said it and it's, when you say something like that, I realize like what I love is that I actually get like people message me now and they're like, thank you so much for sharing about that because I thought I was the only one to experience it. But then on the other side, it's like, well, there's another part of me that everyone knows about now mm-hmm. and what's left at the end of the day. It's, it, it is tricky. I yeah. don't have an answer for it and I don't have it figured out, but it's like trying to preserve whatever privacy I can as a non-private citizen mm-hmm. is very, it's tricky. Yeah, And I, str- I, I still struggle with that sometimes. Yeah, that was a powerful moment to watch. I mean, it definitely stood out. And um, I mean, there's a part of me just as a viewer who is so appreciative of, of you being vulnerable and putting yourself out there. And, it, you know, so many people probably felt so seen and heard in that moment as they told you, which is like amazing. But you're also a human being. <laughs> like, right. You know, and like, I got to yeah. go to bed with that. at the end Yeah. Of the day. Yeah. That's hard. You know? Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you're on Queer Eye on Netflix or you're just someone who has a social media account, like we're, you know, living in an age where people are putting themselves out there all the time. And it's it's hard right. to navigate sometimes. It's it's hard to navigate, but I always try to remember to check my intentions. And mm-hmm. if I am going to say something, I do have a like a little flashing light in my brain that's kind of like, why are you saying this? Mm-hmm. And some days if I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm feeling like a little indulgent and oh, woe is me. 
then I check my intentions. Mm. And if the intention is because I think somebody could actually benefit from it or because I really feel it's necessary for that person to hear what I have to say, then I'm like, okay, I'll let myself do it. And then other times it's like, no, this is your ego, Anthony. Like, shut the fuck up and just ask another open-ended question and let them do, you know, like, yeah, this isn't about that right now. Yeah, I never want to be too indulgent or preachy. And I guess the show is about them. It's not about you, but right, but, exactly. But in that moment, you sharing yourself, it was helpful. It was. It was not. It opens it was up not because just they, about you. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Wow. Yeah, it's tricky. Yeah, it is. It's hard to just be a person. <laughs> yeah, it is. It can be. Can I ask you just quickly, because I really appreciate you bringing it up and, and mentioning it a few times, and I think it's, it's such an important thing to talk about, which mm-hmm. is therapy and just mental health. And I'm wondering, did you start therapy before you were on the show? Is that something you started doing, you know, to navigate this? When did mm-hmm. that start? I've been going since I was 17. Okay, a long time. Yeah. Um, I'm 35. Yeah. I've gone on and off and I've taken breaks, but I, I honestly don't know how I would be able to function without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, even though we have a lot of physicians in my family, mental health is, uh, is something that was never really mm-hmm. discussed. I have a grandmother who has mental illness. I have an auntie, a cousin. It's like schizophrenia and like depression is live and well mm-hmm. in, uh, in, on both sides of my family. And, it was something like seeking out mental health was always something that was sort of, there was something embarrassing about it. And I never really understood why I was part of a generation where we were just kind of more open to it, where we sought that out. And so for me, it's just, it's always been so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And I'm lucky because I was in Canada where these things are a lot less expensive, Mm -hmm. but that said, it doesn't have to be a psychologist or um, or uh, a psychiatrist. Social workers are great. Mm-hmm. Resources, for the most part, are available in schools. And like my unsolicited advice is just find somebody who has an empathetic approach, who you don't feel like you're being judged, where you feel safe in sharing that. Yeah. And what I hate is when I tell my friends to go see a therapist, and they see one, and they're like, it didn't work out for me, so I guess therapy isn't for me. It's like, is that how dating works, too? Mm-hmm. If that's how dating works, you're going to be very disappointed yeah. in life. Like, find somebody who works yeah. for you. I've yeah. had therapists throughout the years who I just needed someone to listen to me because I wasn't speaking to anybody and they wouldn't say anything. And today, my therapist, she's awesome, the one I have now. And we're proactive. At the end of every session, I'm like, what's my goal for next week? Mm-hmm. What do I need to work mm-hmm. on? And then I come back and I'm like, "Yeah, Carol, guess what I did? Guess yeah. what I did? And then we like work on the next thing. And she gives me constant feedback because I feel like I'm on an express train right now yeah. and everything is precious. Like, time is the biggest luxury. Um, and so I, I, I need to like, make sure that I'm working on it. Like yeah. that's my current thing. Yeah. That's, that's great. And I appreciate that. I mean, it's a relationship like any other, it can take time for, to find the right 100%. one and your needs for the relationship can change over time. Yeah. How often do you And talk? you can address them with your therapist yeah. and then you see if it works out or not. Yeah. How often do you and Carol talk? Once a week. Yeah. That's great. When I was in Japan, we FaceTimed. It's not that's ideal, awesome. but it's still somebody to... Yeah. You know, yeah. and I have my best friends, people who I check in with and, you know, Tan gives me unsolicited advice, whether I like it or not. He has a fucking opinion about everything. And then I have, you know, my, my best friend, Ben, who's also happens to be my agent. We were both assistants together and we've grown up in this business. He's also like Tan and just gives me advice whether I want it or not. And then Rima is my supportive friend who's like, you're doing your best. Yeah. It's okay. Don't be hard on yourself. Yeah. It sounds and like Ben will be like, no, you're an idiot. Like you need, you need a little bit of everything, yeah. I think. And know who, who you want to listen to. 
What is exactly speaking of unsolicited advice from Tan? I just have to ask, what does he think of your t-shirt collection? <laughs> um, the t-shirt collection started because when we had our mood boards for what we were going to uh-huh. wear for the show, they were like, we want you to be like New York sexy James Dean. That's it. Plain t-shirt and jeans. And I was like, well, I have to do something. So I started just showcasing bands and books that I liked. And um, I think he thinks that they're, he wore a Strokes t-shirt in season one when he forgot to bring one to set. So um, I think he doesn't have a strong, I've calmed down on them before. I can't wear Strokes t-shirts anymore because it's like so expected. Yeah. Um, so I've kind <laughs> of changed. I'm wearing a bright stripey thing today. But yeah, um, I think he's supportive. I think he likes my style. <laughs> he's never really critiqued anything. When I try to wear oversized, like oversized pants, he's always like, no, you need to cinch it here and like need to figure this out. But he's always quick to like fix it. I think he respects my fashion sense. Sounds like there's some mutual respect. Um, Well, time is the most precious thing. I don't want to take more of yours, but Uh, I have one final question. Yeah, please, please. I'm I'm just saying I'm having so much fun chatting with you and I'm really happy that we get to do this. I'm really happy too. This has been very meaningful. I appreciate it. Um, Me too. My question that I ask everyone, um, which Mm -hmm. just is my favorite question, is what is the thing that you most loved to eat when you were growing up? Little Anthony. What did he he want more than anything? Yabko serkem. And that's in Polish. It is apple with cheese. When my mother was out of town, I had this lovely uh, woman, Pani Teresa, Mrs. Teresa, who would take, um, she would take like a honey crisp or a gala, peel the skin and take a piece of apple with sharp cheddar or a Havarti slice. And my mother, when she was in town, would be like, fuck no, you were eating the skin. And so it was a slice of apple with cheese and it would be a different cheese. And sometimes it's a brie. Uh And that's how I got into my love of dairy. And it was my favorite snack to eat as a kid. I loved apple slices with cheese. That's, I mean, like you said earlier, it's like, it's the simple stuff, right? It's the simple stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And uh, thank you. Good luck with your book. Have you ever wondered how a great company got its start? OXO was born out of love. Sam Farber founded OXO when he saw his wife Betsy having trouble holding her peeler due to arthritis while she was peeling apples for a pie. They saw an opportunity to create more thoughtful cooking tools that would benefit all people with or without arthritis and decided they would make a better peeler. Part of that better peeler, as well as the other 14 OXO Good Grips products that were initially launched, was a wide oval-shaped handle that was easy to hold and control, no matter the size or shape of your hand or the strength of your grip. It's the same grip that makes me feel so assured when I use OXO's tools in my own kitchen. For more about OXO and their products, head to OXO.com. That's OXO.com. And now it is time to answer listeners' questions. I am so happy that my wife, Grace, is here to be the voice of the listeners. She's back for season three. Hey, JT. And um, we're going to kick it off. And just remember, if you have a question for me, DM me on Instagram at Tertian or email me at keepcomandcookonpodcast at gmail.com. 
Okay, Julia, your first question comes from at Grimesley, who asks, my fridge stopped holding temperature this week. It's going to be repaired and I have the freezer intact, but I'm having a hard time cooking slash eating without refrigeration to rely on. Do you have any in a pinch pantry slash freezer recipes that will not result in leftovers? I am living on avocado toast. That's a nice thing to live off of. Just a few ideas off the top of my head. Uh, One is sliced tomatoes on toast. Uh, drizzled with a mixture of equal parts tahini, lemon juice, and hot water. That is such a delicious dressing and doesn't rely on your refrigerator or anything. You can keep all those ingredients at room temperature. So uh, toast your bread, maybe rub it with a little garlic, put those sliced tomatoes on, drizzle that tahini dressing on top. Super delicious. Uh, Cabbage can stay out at room temperature. So a fresh salad of shredded cabbage with olive oil, vinegar, maybe some toasted nuts for texture and uh, flavor. And you can throw some canned tuna or beans on either of these, the tomatoes on toast or the cabbage salad. Also, fresh vegetables just sautéed with olive oil and garlic. You know, vegetables that you can leave it on your counter and don't have to be refrigerated. Toss those with cooked pasta or even use frozen vegetables. It'll be delicious. All right. These next two questions come from Gabrielle Schaffner. The first one is, do you have any ideas to use up egg whites if you really don't like meringues and pavlovas? You can send both of those to me. Yeah, you love those. Um, But a few ideas. One is to do an egg white omelet. That might sound really basic, but if you have lots of egg whites, those are great. When I make an egg white omelet, I like to whip them a little bit first, not till they get to like a meringue texture, but just a little bit frothy. It helps give them uh, a little bit of lift in the omelet so it's not so kind of like wet. Another idea is to make macaroons. Um, Those are a really fun thing to make and kind of like a good project. And one idea is to use them for homemade granola. If you whip them a little bit and mix them with olive oil and honey, you can use that mixture to coat oats and nuts before roasting. It helps make all those great like clusters in granola. Like when I open a bag of granola, I always reach for those first. So it helps to kind of create that structure. I had never heard that before. That's such good advice. Heard it here first. Okay, your last question, also from Gabrielle, says, Why don't recipes include water in the ingredients if water is an ingredient? It seems to be a rule and it always confounds me. That is a really good observation. Um, This does seem to be the case for most recipe writers, and I can only speak for myself, but I don't include water on the ingredient list because I don't want to make the list of ingredients on my recipes appear really, really long. I feel like sometimes that can be a little off-putting. It makes it seem like the recipe is going to be really complicated when in fact it isn't. Another reason is because water is hopefully um, available in your kitchen, and you don't have to go to the store to buy it or to your pantry to get it. And I sometimes think think of the ingredient list as a list of almost like your groceries that you're going to need for the recipe. So I do it just to kind of simplify and leave it off. But that is a really good observation. So those are all the questions for today. Thank you, Grace, so much for being the voice of the listeners and asking the questions. Can I ask you one question? I want to know for the fall, now that it's cold and we're going to say goodbye to our summer vegetables and my beloved stone fruits, what are you most excited to cook as fall produce comes in? I love squash. I really, I like miss it in the summer. Like good, um, like I'm not talking like summer squash, like zucchini or uh, like yellow squash, like acorn squash, delicata squash, butternut squash. I love squash, as you can tell, because I'm like smiling while I'm talking about this. Um, So I love roasted squash, just olive oil, salt, um, 
that's it. I love that as like a side dish, but I also love all different kinds of dressings. On top of that, that tahini dressing that I mentioned for the tomato toast, so good on squash. You can add some toasted like pistachios and maybe even some pomegranate seeds, very Ottolenghi-esque. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to make some squash. I love making a roast chicken and roast squash and like greens. We had that recently the other night as like fall is around the corner kind of meal. That to me feels so comforting. Um, I could eat that all the time. Actually, you made it. Why did I just say I made it? (laughs) Happy fall, JT. Happy fall, Grace. Thanks so much for asking the questions and feel free to send me your questions so we can get them answered next time. And before the show ends, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to The Trevor Project, an organization that both Anthony and I support. The Trevor Project provides crisis intervention and suicide prevention services to LGBTQ young people under the age of 25. Their trained counselors are available 24-7 free of charge. If you're a young LGBTQ person in crisis or you're feeling suicidal or you're in need of a safe and judgment-free space to talk, call the Trevor Lifeline at 1-866-488-7386. You can also get support from a trained specialist over text. Just text the word START to 678-678. More information is available at thetrevorproject.org. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Keep Calm and Cook On. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you have a few extra seconds, please rate and review the show. It really makes a difference to help others find it. And let someone know about it. Post about it on social media, text a friend about the show, email your family. It all adds up. Keep Calm and Cook On is produced and hosted by me, Julia Tertian, and engineered by David Tatashore. For more about David, head over to DaveTAT.com. And for more about me and my work and my cookbooks, head over to JuliaTertian.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Tertian. Thanks again for listening. This episode of Keep Calm and Cook On is presented by OXO. OXO makes some of the most thoughtfully engineered tools around. To find out more about OXO, head over to OXO.com. That's OXO.com.